0: privilege to speak this morning, and I'd like to speak to you about church family and what that means. And I had a a start at at this uh, topic last week, and I want to continue this week having a look at joining the family and what it means to be part of church community. And I really trust it's quite practical. It's more of a teaching than it is a preach, but I hope it will bring clarity to you um, in terms of what we're trying to value as a church family and what we're aiming at. We don't always get everything right, but at least we can aim aim somewhere, right? (laughs) And this is where we are aiming. And so I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to start, and uh, trust that God would really speak to you and bless you this morning. Father, we thank you that, first of all, we are sons and daughters in your household. We thank you, God, that we are saved by grace. We thank you, Lord, for all that that means. I thank you for the liberty and the joy and the freedom that you've brought to all of us as we have come into a relationship with you. And that's the the basis of everything. And we want to say thank you for that first of all this morning. And then, Lord, we want to say thank you too for this family of believers. Uh, All that you're doing with us, we thank you that you're doing many things in many places with many groups of people. But, Lord, this group of people that you're calling together, who are friends, we want to say thank you for each other. And I pray, Lord, this morning as I chat about some things, that you would inspire our hearts with a deeper love for you and a deeper love for each other. That we really would be a fruitful community that sees transformation come in our own families and in the world and in our schools and wherever we work because of the great love that you have put in our hearts for other people. And so I simply trust you for these things this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So last week uh, I started this little talk, and um, I want to continue like I said. Uh, just a brief recap from some of the things I said last week. Uh, I said that we're trusting that this family will become increasingly a healthy family. Uh, I'm not really concerned with a huge, massive family. If this church grows, and I trust it will grow because all healthy things grow, that would be delightful. But above all, I would love the church to be healthy. I would love it to be a strong, vibrant, healthy Community of believers. Um, And I know these things, when I say I this morning, I want you to know it's not just me, it's also a collection of leaders that are standing together and ministry group leaders, and we are all aiming in the same direction to see these things come. I said also when we speak about joining a church family, I think the word membership is unhelpful because the word membership for me has a country club connotation. When you join the golf club, You pay your subscription every year and you get a certain service for your subscription and you get privileges. You can use the golf club or the tennis court or the sauna and you can invite your mates. Church is not a country club. Church is a completely different animal. Church is a family. Church is a community of loving family community where people are welcomed in from all kind of different backgrounds because we have the same father. Yes? And because of that... We love each other because He's first loved us. And uh, the title of my message last week was, Why Should We Bother With Local Church? Because uh, increasingly people are uh, um, allergic to commitment. They're allergic to even good things because they think people want to control if you ask them to be part of something that is bigger than them. And I said to you basically that I feel like church must become a, a high priority for all of us because it's such a high priority for Jesus. It was such a high priority for Him that He gave His life for the church, that He that he shed His blood for the church, that the church might be birthed and that we might enjoy what we enjoy today. And so I'm fully convinced that uh, Jesus is passionate about the local church. He's so passionate that He calls it His bride. He says He's coming back for His bride. Uh, and there are a number of compelling biblical reasons why we should join ourselves to a local church family. And I tried to... to um, Uh, give some of those last week, and just to summarize them, I said, first, it's a sign of authentic biblical conversion. When you are saved, you are automatically joined to the church. And we had a look at that, the three C's of conversion, converted to Christ, converted to the community of believers, and uh, converted to the call of Christ, which is upon all of our lives. I then said to you that joining a local church family shows love for Jesus but also love for other people. And that's really important, that we're not just living selfishly, we're not just living for our own fulfillment, for our own destiny. As important as that is, we live for others, we live for community, and that is part of being uh, uh, joining yourself to a local church family. Third, I said joining a church family is showing that you're becoming a disciple, that you're becoming more and more like Jesus, that you're following Jesus. And um, I'm aware that we... Um, Need to help others, have others help us with our blind spots. Isn't that true? Um, Sometimes it's it's, um, when we are in times of worship with Jesus, those are delightful times, but we don't always see our blind spots, and that's what other people help us to do. When you're in a local group, uh, a a small group, for example, and people are getting to know you, then very soon your strengths and your weaknesses become apparent to everybody else. Isn't that right? And so that's why we're there, to help each other, not to try and manipulate people to change, but to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that we can grow up and we can become more and more like Jesus. I'm not a perfect dad. My My kids know that. I'm not a perfect husband. My wife knows that. But at least we are on a journey together to try and become more and more like Jesus and to allow the Holy Spirit to put certain things to death in our lives so that we can become more and more like His Son. Uh, that's be, that's becoming a disciple of Jesus. And so, forth. I said, a local church family is also a primary way of evangelizing the world. And we need to see so many saved, don't we? I mean, uh, we prayed this morning before the meeting, and our dream is for this church that we would see many, many, many saved, hundreds saved into this church that don't know Jesus yet. Yes? It's wonderful that people join that are already saved, and we delight in that. But surely the dream in our hearts must be that Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all. Isn't that right? And so we want to see many saved. And we had a prophetic word many years ago that the walls of this church would be salvation and praise. And we enjoy amazing times of worship and praise. We are still trusting that the other arm of salvation is going to become increasingly strong, that we're going to see hundreds and hundreds of people saved. Live with that dream in your heart. Yeah? Don't give up on the dream when we don't see it happen quickly. Yes, that's what vision is. Vision is keeping going when you haven't yet fully seen what you are dreaming about. Um, I said, fifthly, that being part of a local church family is learning to understand the gospel for yourself and showing other people what the true gospel is. That's also part of being part of a a church family. Remember, I said sometimes people think Christians are self-righteous prats. That's just... um, Want to stop everybody in the world having fun? Well, the best way to uh, to combat that is to be part of a church community where that the exactly the opposite is modelled. All right. Um, I said sixthly, most one of the wonderful things for me is that being part of a local church family helps us to be in a position where we, where we can contribute and build up other people's lives. Isn't it a delight? that you can help, you can build into someone else's life and encourage them and pray with them and stand with them. And that's part of the joy of being part of a local church family. And so I believe that church membership, belonging to a church family, is simply when you are saved, being joined to the body of Christ and that being expressed in a local church community. That's what it means. And so in the New Testament, when the the word church is used, like in Ephesus or Corinth or Rome, It really spoke about a local community of believers that were called together, and that's what we are called to join ourselves to. And the question that I'd like to just answer by way of introduction this morning is, was that New Testament relationship, was it a formal thing or was it an informal thing? Was it communicated? Was there a sense that people said, yes, I'm in, or no, I'm not? And I want to say to you, there are five biblical reasons that I find compelling evidence of that it was a formal communicated relationship. Alright? It wasn't just informal, that people kind of drifted in and drifted out, and no one quite knew what was going on. There was a formal communication to the people that were overseeing the church that, yes, I see this is part of this, I'm part of this church family. And here are the five, five uh, indications of that from the New Testament. First of all, the metaphors that the New Testament uses to describe local churches are metaphors like this. Flock, temple, body, household. And they are all used specifically in the context of local church communities. Churches in a specific area. If you want to look up the scriptures for yourself, you can write these things down. Um, Acts chapter 20, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Each of those metaphors described there has a clear distinction of who's in the church and who's not part of the church. Also, another compelling um, uh, evidence is in 1 Corinthians 14.23 where Paul says, if the whole church comes together, he's speaking to the Corinthian church, if the whole church comes together in one place, how can he he talk about the whole church if they didn't know who the whole church was? Alright, there must have been some communication to the local church leaders that, yep, I'm part of this church. Thirdly, the instruction for oversight of the local church and spiritual leadership of the church, and the Bible uses these kinds of words, pastors, elders, shepherds, overseers, the instructions to those people uh, that are called to look after God's flock, in Acts 20, 1 Timothy 3, uh, Philippians chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, those that are called to oversee the local church are called to take care of all of the flock all of the flock again it 's inclusive or it means that those citywide church leaders must have had an indication of who those believers were and uh, leaders are called to be accountable for the flock uh, hebrews thirteen seventeen and so if there's this commitment or care expected of pastors to oversee local church flocks, then surely it's logical that there must be some, some um, demonstration of that commitment from the people in the local church as well. And then, I'm nearly finished with this little introduction. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira who met a fiery end in the book of Acts uh, when um, they lied about to the Holy Spirit in Acts 5.13 um, it's the, the scripture after that is very interesting because it says, No one dared join them, that is the church, but the people esteemed them very highly. And the Greek word therefore, um, join has strong connotations of covenant, of real commitment. It's the same word that is used to describe sexual relationship in 1 Corinthians 6. You join yourself to another person in, 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 in intercourse. And it's the same word that is used, no one dared join them because they were afraid. There was this kind of fear of God and at the same time, they held them in high esteem. So there is a real sense of commitment when you join yourself to local church. It's a serious thing. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. And lastly, um, when we talk about church discipline, Matthew 18, verse 15, 1 Corinthians 5, I mentioned last week, talks about putting out a member of the church because um, of sexual um, misconduct. The scripture says they treat them like an unbeliever. Well, since everyone is welcome in, in, to, to, to uh, visit a local church and be part of worship, when they say remove this person uh, from the local church, it must have a connotation of the formal association with this church. Are you with me? Now, because this person is not behaving in a certain way, that's indicates that they love Jesus, their formal association with the church must be severed. They can't be a member and behave like that. Yeah? And that's what I, what, what I believe is the fifth indication that this relationship was, was formal. You knew what was going on. And so, Douglas Miller, who's written about uh, this subject, says this, In the New Testament, there's no such person as a Christian who is not a church member. Conversion was described as the Lord adding to the church. There was no spiritual drifting. And I trust that you would be able to, um, if you haven't already, that you would join your heart with us in this local church if you see this, part, this is the family that you want to be part of. And that I can't. none of us, we can talk about it, and no one can force that from you. It really is a decision of your heart, and it's a decision to open your life and say, yes, I want to be part you to be part of my life so that I can be part of your life. All right, so I want to, as a secondly, then, and this is really, I've got two main points this morning. The first thing I want to speak together with you, having said all of that as an introduction, is what is our responsibility to each other as members of God's family? Our responsibility to each other, your responsibility to me, my responsibility to you. Being part of any family is a privilege, wouldn't you say? I, I, I love being part of church, um, of uh, family gatherings. We have a, a wonderful extended family that loves each other and we always, we, we like to go away together on holiday and it's a brilliant thing. We enjoy being together. I love this church community as my family. I love getting together with, with, with you guys. It's not, a, it's not a, a, a heavy thing for me to get up on a Sunday morning to want to be with the church because I love this church. And I, I've loved the friendships that we've made over the years here. And so, those are the privileges of being, belonging to a church family. And there are also, you know, as a member of, of your, your earthly families, that there are also responsibilities that you carry because you're part of the family. And in the same way, there are responsibilities that we carry because we are part of this family as God's local church here. And all of us are called to love God, love each other, and love those outside of the church. We are also asked to express our worship and prayer every time we gather, to sit under the teaching of the Word, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us and to minister to us. And we, the byproduct of that is we, we, ha- we enjoy great fellowship together as well, don't we? We have a relational um, interaction that is joyful and happy. And those, those are some of the things that we enjoy. But some, some of the responsibilities that we have... Um, Are also need 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 to be uh, verbalized. Uh, I said last week that Christianity is really about relation. At its heart, is relational. It's it's communal. It's about family, and I believe you can only really fully fully realize that in the context of a local church, because then you work it out with other people. And the most fundamental responsibility that we have towards each other is to regularly get together to worship and pray. To have fellowship, to break bread, to allow the Holy Spirit, to encourage us and refresh us. That's Christianity 101. That's the foundation of everything. But then, I'd like to speak about some responsibilities that we have towards each other. And I hope that these would paint a picture for you this morning of what the kingdom actually is about. What the kingdom actually is like. And the first thing I want to say to you, and it's the most simple, basic thing. As Christians, we are called To love one another. I want to try and describe to you what love looks like. Because love is practical. And uh, this is the basis of what I want to talk about in our relationship to each other. We are called to love each other. There's so many scriptures. If If you just, in a cursory way, read the New Testament, you are going to come across this over and over and over again. Jesus calling us to love each other. To love each other. To love each other. John 13. John 15, Romans 12, Galatians 5, Galatians 6, Ephesians 1. You can just go through the whole of the New Testament. The point is that we are all members of the same family. And you know this this scripture well, 1 Corinthians 12. Well, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew, Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit yeah we are all part of the same body and i want to say if there's not a basic unity in the sense of that we love each other what other satisfaction what other joy can there be in anything else that we do if we do not love each other it's meaningless if there's no love all that we do is a clanging gong and a loud crashing cymbal as paul says in 1 corinthians 13 So I want to encourage you, I want to do all that I can to ask you to open your heart to each other, open your hearts to each other, open your hearts to me, I want to open my heart to you. Uh, That's the gospel, that in Christ we can love each other. That's the nature of the gospel. I want to ask you also to identify anything that cools love between us. That tries to pour water on love between us. We want to deal with those things, repent of those things, resist those things, avoid those things. Why? We want this to be a loving community. God first loved us so that we can love each other. Amen? And so, what does that look like? What does love look like practically? Well, we are obliged as Christians that love Jesus, we are obliged to seek peace, we are obliged to preserve unity. We are obliged to do that within the context of a local church congregation. That's what it looks like. Love is very practical. And so there are, again, just loads of Scripture to point us to that. Romans 12, 16, 1 Corinthians thirteen 7, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, Philippians 2, 3, Paul says this to the Philippian church, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. If we could just get that right, this would be a loving community. Amen? Counting others more important than ourselves. And I want to say a desire for unity, a desire for peace, a desire not to see strife in a local church, is an overflow of love. Is it not? It flows naturally if there's love those things flow naturally out of love. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers. He never instructs people, says, this is what you've got to do. He's always appealing, because that's what it is. It's either in the heart or it's not in the heart. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree, and that there must be no divisions amongst you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by close people that there is quarreling amongst you, my brothers. Let there not be any quarreling amongst us. Amen? Can someone say amen? I'm sounding like a Pentecostal now. Can someone say amen? We need one of those organs. Surely, let there be no quarrel. There's nothing so exhausting as quarreling. And what is, what is, um, what does Paul continue to say in Philippians 1, 27? Only let your matter of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus so that whether I'm there, whether I come to see you or whether I'm absent, I might hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not fri- frightened in anything by your opponents. That's Paul's heart. He says, whether I'm with you, whether I'm away, let that be what you are about, that you're striving together for the gospel putting all those other things aside. Okay. This is what love looks this is what love looks like that we are preserve peace we seek peace and that we flee from strife. <laughs> Let's flee from strife. Proverbs 17:14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Husbands and wives, quit before the quarrel breaks out. Quit. Don't even get into it. Just immediately stop it. Isn't that true? Sometimes I know in my life, when I, when I start speaking, I can't stop. Isn't that true? When you get into an argument, you, something takes hold of you. And it's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's another spirit, isn't it? And suddenly you just, you're saying things that you can't take back. And how did I ever begin to say this? Quit. The, script, the proverb says, wisdom is not even getting into that. It's like water. Don't let it out. Just quit before it starts. What about 1 Corinthians 10 or 2 Corinthians 13? Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Aim for restoration. You know what I have to say to you? I've led this church for 14 years. I know that there are some people I've hurt and that they don't like me. And you know what? In my prayer life, I'm just saying, Jesus, I know you've forgiven me for everything I've done wrong. I'm aiming for restoration. I'll aim there with all of my heart. I'll trust you that by the end of my life I am restored with as many people as I can be restored with if I've offended anyone in 14 years. But you know what, God? Sometimes only you can do that. I can aim there. I can pray for it. I can desire it. I can try and live it out. But sometimes there's some things that only you can do in someone else's heart. Aim for restoration with everyone that you can if you know you've offended someone. And live free, knowing that Jesus will do it in His time. Amen? So, I'm asking that we as a church family actively cultivate unity and express it through sympathizing with each other. And when we sympathize with each other, there's incredible power that is released. Huh? When we were going through that stuff with Matthew, we found it incredibly powerful to know that people were standing with us and praying with us. Sympathizing with us because we were going through a hard time. Yeah? That, it's, not, it's not like currying favor. It's just being a normal human being. When someone's going through a hard time, you just, you're just you kind of like, yes, I can see you going through a hard time. I want to empathize with you. I'm sorry that you're going through a hard time. And when people are, are, are free and uh, just um, enjoying a time of favor on their lives, we rejoice with them. And we say, yes, God, thank you that we sing your blessing on that person's life. Thank you that they've got a house. Thank you that they've got a new job. Thank you for these things. You're blessing people. Come on. Rejoice when people are being blessed and stand with them when they're going through a hard time. Romans 12 says that, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. (laughs) Don't be haughty. Associate with anyone. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. There are so many encouragements in the Scripture. This is what family looks like. We are encouraged to also care for each other physically and spiritually. I'll just read you one scripture because I've got a lot of stuff to say. John 12, Acts 15, Matthew 25. This is the most well-known portion that I thought of. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels are with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and will separate people one from the other as a shepherd, shepherds, a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left... Then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it for me. We are called to love each other practically, physically, spiritually. Point number five, we're also called to watch over each other and keep each other accountable. Keep each other accountable. People don't like accountability. Accountability. That we got are called to keep each other accountable. Romans fifteen, Galatians six, Philippians two, brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness, not legalistically bashing people over the head when they their sin. No, gently restore your brother. Keep a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill. The law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? That we love each other. There are other things I could say. We are to edify each other. Let's to build each other up. We are to bear with one another. That includes not suing other believers. <laughs> don't sue your brother. You can settle some things out of court. You don't have to sue people. Yeah? Yeah. Um, when you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Matthew eighteen twenty one. And we're called to pray for one another. I'm just flipping through this quickly. We're called to keep away from those who do damage to the church. We are called to keep away from those who do damage to the church. Teach and urge these things, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words, and they produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, constant friction amongst people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain have nothing to do with people that want to break the church down I urge you Paul urges you where people are causing constant friction quarreling about words quarreling about leadership quarreling about things that produce envy dissension, slander, and evil and suspicion have nothing to do with those kinds of people They do nothing good for the church. We are called to build up the church, not break it down. I say this over and over and over again. I can't tell you who to be friends with, but don't be friends with people that break down the church in word or in action and how they live. It's not good for you. It's just going to taint you. No one says amen to that, but it is right. We're not called to evaluate people as the word does. As the world does, Matthew um, 20, Romans 12, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. I love this little line. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that beautiful? Outdo one another in showing honor. Let this become a community that outdoes each other in showing honor. What does that mean? When someone does a good job, we applaud, we cheer, we say, well done. Yes? Yes? Come on now. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be, per, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. All right, so there's many other things um, I could say, and for sake of time, I'm moving on. The second point I want to talk about this morning is that we not only have a responsibility towards each other, to love each other, and I've tried to describe to you what it means to love each other, we also have a responsibility as a congregation towards the pastors and the leaders of ministries in the congregation. It's a two-way thing. Those that are called to care for the flock must care for the flock, and those that are part of the flock must also care for those that are called to care for the flock. (laughs) All right? (laughs) Uh, We're all brothers and sisters, aren't we? And so this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. This is one how sh- one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. We are servants of Christ. We are stewards. And those that lead in any kind of context, those that lead worship, those that lead the children's ministry, those that lead the pre- prayer team, those that preach, are just stewards of God's church. We are under-shepherds. Here's the great shepherd. Yeah. We are just getting to cooperate with Him. And it's a joyful thing. Philippians 2.29, 1 Thessalonians 5.12. And so what I'm saying is that if members of the congregation expect the pastors to fulfill a biblical responsibility towards them, then surely members of the church family should make themselves known to the, the pastors, to the leaders, and say, I want you to take care of me, I am part of this family. It's logical. And uh, the apostles, Paul, uh, described himself simply as a delegate who represented Jesus. That's what any pastor, any minister of the word is. is simply a steward, a delegate in a household under the great shepherd Jesus serving the flock. Amen? And so we're called, those that are are, are pastors or shepherds, are called to do that willingly and eagerly. 1 Peter 5. And I want to say this to you. (laughs) And you might say, This is rich coming from you, but I'm saying this because it's part of what the Scripture says, okay? I've said a whole lot of stuff to us as a congregation, now I'm saying some other stuff. The church should guard and defend the reputation of the pastor, believe his word, obey what is said. Unless what the pastor says contradicts Scripture, is not the gospel, or is plainly distorted, then you don't follow the pastor, you don't listen to the pastor. Yeah? Yeah? But how can I do anything with, together with you? How can the other leaders do anything together with you? Unless you trust us. Unless you actually say, yeah, I believe you've got our best interest at heart. That you're not trying to dominate and abuse us. Yes? It's trust. Just like in a family with a mom and a dad. It's trust. So Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, uh, and 1 Timothy five seventeen. Let the elders that's the leaders, the, ruler, the, the those that are called to um, shepherd the flock, who rule well, let them be considered worthy of double, double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a, admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Well, that's, that's quite a thing, isn't it? Rebuke them in the presence of all <laughs> so that they may, the rest might stand in fear. I mean, Paul is a very strong guy. He's not like holding back here. And so we're also called to remember the, our leaders, pray for our leaders, imitate the faith that they have. There are many encouragements like in the Scripture. And so I want to ask you, as one of the leaders of this church, will you pray for those that are leading this church, every ministry of this church. Would you stand with us? Would you encourage us? Would you lift up our hands? We're not saying we're special. We're just saying that's our task, and we need your help, (laughs) and we need your prayer, and we covered your prayer, and we want to do it together with you, not above you, standing in front of you like the tip of an arrow, so we can break some things open together, and that the weight of the whole church comes behind, and we break it open together. Amen? So, lastly then, what does it mean to be planted into this family? What do we want to value? What do we want to aim at? I'm going to summarize four or five things out of all of that that I've tried to say to you this morning. What does it mean to be planted in this church family? First of all, it means that you know that you are son or daughter of the Most High. That's what the most important thing, that you know that you're saved, that you know that you are Loved by God, that you know that you, it's grace that's transforming your life and that you love Jesus. Yeah? Having said that, I want to know this. I want to also say, reiterate what I said last week. If you're not saved, you don't know Jesus. The best reason you can have to understand what Christians believe is to be part of the church community and to find it out and to explore it. So if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you're welcome to meet with us every week. And learn what it means to worship God. And learn what it means to pray for each other and love each other in terms of what the Bible says. Amen? Everyone's welcome. These are the things that we'd love to value as we go forward. And uh, this is what it means to be part of this family. Love one. Love being together. Love being together. Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing here. So let us let us prioritize our times of worship and fellowship as an absolute priority for our lives. Whether it's a corporate time like a Sunday, whether it's a small group, whether you're helping someone in the cap course to get out of debt, uh, whether you're doing whatever, love being with God's people. It's the lifeblood. It's the only thing we have, is relationship with Jesus and relationship with each other. Uh, meet with each other in each other's homes for meals, often as you can. I love that. It's part of the joy of church community that you have so many friends. You know, we've got some, some friends in, in, in the boys' uh, school, and none uh, number of them have said, you have so many friends. How do you have so many friends? Well, you get so many friends by being part of a loving community which is expressing Jesus. It's an incredible privilege. I don't have to worry about invitations to dinner because we're always eating with our friends. Because we have so many. Because our hearts are joined with you and your hearts are joined with us. Amen? Come on now. This is really wonderful. Get excited about some good things. All right? So, I want to encourage you there. are real pressures for for many of us that mitigate against us meeting together. Uh, Let's not give in to those pressures, eh? Let's prioritize our times together. And I want to say this lovingly to you without putting anything on you. When you are missing on a Sunday, some of the family is missing. (laughs) Yeah? Some of the family is missing, and you are missed. It's like when you're at a wedding and they have toast to absent friends. For all those that could have been here today and are not enjoying this moment, we miss you. And the way that we're saying we miss you is we have a toast. Perhaps we should have toasts to absent friends on Sundays. So all I'm saying, very simply, love being together. Do all that you can to be relationally connected in the life of the church. Somewhere, in some context outside of a Sunday meeting, connect yourself relationally to someone. Whether you're praying with someone, whether you're in a life group, whether you're part of the worship team or you're part of the... Ministry team and that priest, and you wherever you can build relationship, build friendship. That's what it means to be planted. Secondly, love God and serve one another. Yeah, love God and serve one another. Matthew 20 26 Whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever would be first amongst you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom ransom for many. Being part of this family means we joyfully serve every son and daughter in this household. That means two things, within the church and into the church community. And I want to encourage you to find your gift. I want to encourage you to find your place so that you can express that gift in this local church and you can express your gift in the community. Both. What's God called you to do here and how's God called you to minister to your community where you live? that you can be a blessing. Amen? So we start to live for others and we give ourselves away and we're not just living by ourselves. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, famous German, um, uh, died in the Second World War, said this, it's grace, and nothing but grace, that allows us to live in community with other believers. Isn't that beautiful? It's only the grace of God that enables anything that we can live together with each other. Thirdly, and I'm nearly finished. I've got two more points after this and then we're going to pray for the guys that are committing this, themselves to this church family. Actively promote unity. Actively promote unity and help others become part of the family. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling to which you have been called with humility and gentleness and patience bear with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Yeah? So can I just enlarge that a little bit? Can we become a family of friends that blows wind in each other's sails, that encourages each other to do great things with our lives? Can we truly be those that lift up each other's arms and stand with each other, especially those that are going through a hard time? Can we become a family that really is part of the solution to problems rather than moaning about the problems that we face? Yes? That's actively promoting unity. That's not being passive and just sitting back and saying, well, it's someone else's problem. No, it's our problem. Yes, if you're part of the family, it's your problem. (laughs) And we get to enjoy all the good stuff too, isn't it? Fourthly, I want to ask you to actively pray for and support the leadership team. Actively. So that means that we joyfully submit to each other as we submit to Christ. Uh, I love that scripture in um, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says, "Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over you as your uh, over your souls, as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you." If the leaders have to say, oh, God, oh, no, no, oh. There's no advantage to anybody if the leaders are moaning. If the leaders are, if their joy is being robbed, isn't it? No, if it's joyful, it's happy, it's good for all of us. Come on now. So I want to say there's no one on this team, in in this church, that is leading any ministry that says they are perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect person. But everyone on the leadership team does love Jesus. And we are committed to doing all that we can to rooting people in Jesus and keeping this church free in the gospel. That's the the desire of our hearts, all of us. And so I want to encourage you with that. Different churches have different styles and structures. But we are trying to, in, in a very practical way, release every single person that we can to operate in the area of their gifting so that this church can be built up. So whatever your gift is, we want to help to release that so that there can be a building up of this church. And uh, you'll be hearing next week from some of the ministry leaders in the church that are coordinating different ministries to see if you would like to be part of some of those things and help to build up this church. All right? So then I want to say this as I close this morning. Can we be a family, become a family, that does not tolerate when other people speak badly of our friends in this family? Would you tolerate someone speaking badly about your mum and dad or your brothers or your sisters or your cousins or your friends outside of the local church? Why then do people tolerate when people speak badly of people in church? It is It is unbelievable to me. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us become a church that speaks well of everyone in this local church. And when you hear someone speaking badly of someone, you walk away from the conversation and choose not to be part of it. That's the best thing you can do. That means gossip is killed. The root is dealt with straight away. Come on now, that's what truly honouring others means. That we honour them in, to their faces in the same way that we honour them when they're not there. Amen. Come on now. I know this is tough. I know it's not not nice to hear, but this is, this is this is this is this is truth. This is what it's about. This is where, where rubber hits the road. To use all of those kind of um, phrases. Can we become a family that cheers when someone does a good job? Can we cheer for the curry this morning? Come on. Can we become a family that is really each other's biggest fans? Can you become a family, we become a family together, that simply sends a text to someone to say, just thinking of you, a short email, a phone call, want to encourage you this week. That's life. So many opportunities that we can promote unity and, and, and joyfully do that. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about this next week, but let's be those that joyfully and generously contribute towards the financial needs of this family and uh, be part of the, those that are shouldering the financial burden. And uh, God has been so good to us that we've seen such wonderful provision over the last 14 years. But let's continue that as we try to break forward uh, into the future that it's going to take all of us. We wrote you a letter as the leadership team just to express something of that uh, over this last couple of weeks. Please read that letter. I know that uh, many hours went into writing that letter, that it would be received in the right spirit, and we want to encourage you joyfully to be part of the solution of what God has for us. If you need help to get out of debt, please be honest about that. And uh, there's a wonderful cap course that Fiona and... um, Children are running. It's a very practical course to help us get out of debt so we can be a blessing. If you need to, to ask God for a better job, if you, if you feel like you, your income is simply not enough, we want to stand with you and pray with you. These are very practical things that we do as part of the church family. Amen? Let's help each other. Let's encourage each other. Wesley said this. He said, the last thing to be converted is a man's wallet. And I think he was right. And all of us have to win that battle for ourselves. Uh, There's so many things we can spend our money on. And uh, at the end of the the month, we can say, is it really worth it to give this money to the church? I could spend this money on that holiday. If I just save this 200 pounds this month, I'd say I'm going to have a lovely holiday in a year's time. Is it really worth it? Well, all I can say to you is you have to win that battle for yourself because I think it is worth it. I think God's kingdom is absolutely worth it. It's worth investing in with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and we're going to talk about um, these things next week. Uh, I love the scripture, 2 Corinthians 8. Listen also to the tone of Paul. Listen to his tone writing to the Corinthian church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Even giving in the church financially is a grace. If you don't understand the gospel, you're not ever going to see the need to give or have the desire to give. (laughs) The grace of God that has been given to the churches in Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, the abundance of joy, and the extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He's saying these guys were going through a hard time, and yet they were still giving sacrificially. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete amongst you this act of grace. Again, he says it's an act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. I would love to have the conviction... Uh, uh, not the conviction, I would love to be able to say that we can say this is a church that is excelling in this act of grace. That we are sowing hundreds of thousands of pounds into other ministries because this church is a generous church.